Good morning, Camp CC. How are you? All right. My name is Meredith Hurtado, and um, I do many things here, but one of my favorite things that I do is that I am the manager of the Camarillo Community Church Food Pantry, uh, affectionately known as Jehovah Jireh. Um, if you remember, uh, the last couple of weeks, I was standing out on the patio and prouncing about um, in an inflatable turkey costume, holding a sign and screaming that I need turkeys and chickens. Um, I hope you remember that. Uh, I, I had a goal, a very um, human-sized goal, of getting 185 turkeys and chickens out of all of you. And I just wanted to report that I ended up getting 219 turkeys and chickens out of this church family. And I am here to just say thank you so, so much. We don't have any um, extra programs or um, uh, resources for those types of things. That all came only from Camarillo Community Church. And I went in on Friday. I was so excited um, to, to hand those things out. And when I got there, I found empty aisleways. And usually those aisleways are full of produce and bread and all the other things that we hand out to go along with it. And I was so disappointed and so defeated. And I just said, you know what, God, you are Jehovah Jireh. You provide through your people. So I jumped on my phone and I jumped on social media and I put out the word that we needed um, those items. And within three hours, I had 120 loaves of bread and 780 pounds of produce just delivered to my door. Um, and we were able to distribute that. On average, we serve about 170 families. Our record is 173. Last Friday, we saw 197 families come through our door, and we were able to serve every single one of them only because of the generosity of our people at Camarillo Community Church and through God's prompting through the Holy Spirit. There's one other thing I wanted to share. Um, you would have seen uh, not just myself, but also Pastor Kenny, our executive pastor, Kenny Kibble. Um, he wore the turkey suit for a short amount of time. And I just want to let you know, see, look at that guy. He is rock and roll and ready to go, doing anything for Jesus. Um, I went to, uh, David came to me. If you don't know David Hurtado, the lead pastor of the church, is my husband. Um, we all have our thing. Um, he's my husband, and he came to me, and he said, Babe, I'm telling you right now, if you can get Kenny to wear that turkey suit, I will donate 20 turkeys, but ain't no way he's going to wear that suit. And I said, okay, no problem. So I went to Kenny. I said, Kenny, you're worth 20 turkeys to me. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, no, 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 no. See, if you, were to, if you wear the turkey suit for five minutes on the patio with photographic evidence, David says he will donate 20 turkeys. And by the way, he also says you won't do it. And Kenny looked at me and said, done. So he put it on. David fulfilled his obligation. I'll have you all know that he did provide uh, his, uh, he did hold up his end of the bargain. But I just want to let you know um, from the bottom of my heart and um, on behalf of the volunteer staff that we have at the pantry, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We served 197 families right here in Camarillo, um, providing for them what they otherwise would not have had at all. Um, and so out of that thankfulness that I have and out of the thankfulness I hope you all have in your hearts for what God has done, I ask you now to stand up and join with this amazing team of people in worshiping God this morning. Welcome, Cam CC, here and online. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give thanks. There's peace in our land. 
God, you are the same God today, yesterday and forever. We lift our eyes to you, lift our eyes to the mountains. Lift your head, lift your eyes, look to the sun in the test. His grace is enough, His grace is enough. Oh, my soul, remember who you're singing to. Take heart, hold on. Remember who you're singing to. Come on.
our rock, our God, our mighty. If you love him this morning, let's lift our hearts and our voices.
Why don't you go ahead and take a seat? I have an almost two-year-old, and he's fascinated with dogs right now. So anytime we go someplace, he calls them gogs. And so he'll yell at the top of his lungs, gogs, gogs, gogs. And so regardless of what route we take, we always see gogs when we're with jazz. But I take those same routes, and I don't see dogs. I mean, I'm so focused on where I'm going, I don't see any dogs. And just recently over Thanksgiving, they kind of played a part into our Thanksgiving because we had not ideal circumstances where we've been in a hotel for about three weeks now, four weeks. And Thanksgiving, I wanted to try to get everybody out, but everybody's feeling sick. Everybody, it's not a good time to be at Team Reed right now. And so, as we're there, Thanksgiving Day, we're on the third floor. The elevator goes out. We had to take Crazy Poppy, which is our puppy pug, all the way down the steps to get her to do her business. Then we find out that we get back up to the room. We're out of towels. And then we find out Poppy escapes out of the third floor and is roaming the hotel on the third floor. And so at this time, nothing new is going to surprise me of how this day is going to turn out. And then what happens is, Kim, so we're, we're not big turkey people on Thanksgiving. We want to eat whatever we want to eat, have a big feast. So Kimmy gets this meat that we love it well done. But I'm telling you, this meat looked pink and well done at the same time. I don't know how you do it, but it was uh, questionable. So just to be safe, we said, hey, let's pass on the meat. And I thought, my goodness, this day could not get any worse. And then we thought, well, Kimmy had really wanted to watch a Christmas movie on Thanksgiving to end the night. So we go to Netflix. There are no good Christmas movies on Netflix. It was almost like we were being spiritually attacked at this point because there's nothing on Netflix that would be good for us to enjoy Christmas. And then I remember jazz. Jazz is in awe of the tiniest things. Jazz is in awe of dogs. And as we're flipping through channels, we hear, go, 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 go. And he still would see dogs on, on the television. And I thought, you know, it really is the intentionality that Jazz has. The lens that he is looking through right now, the eye of a child, is the one thing that is most important to him, is to be able to see a dog. And I thought, I wonder if the reason my Thanksgiving is the way that it is, is my own attitude 
rather than anything else that's going on? Am I looking intentionally for how God has moved and worked and been faithful and be thankful for those things? Or am I so focused on everything else? And I'm sure that they're there, just like we can take the same route every day. And I don't see any dogs, but Jazz sees them all the time. It's because he's intentionally looking. So I just want to encourage you that as we continue this next song, that you would be intentionally looking in your life for how God is moving and how he's working and how he wants to use you. Let's continue to worship.
Our vision and heart here at Camarillo Community Church is to see the increasing number of people who live in our area to know and follow Jesus Christ. Five years ago, Camarillo Community Church hired myself, my wife, and our children to come be the new lead pastor of our church. Since we've been here, we've done 15 community impact initiatives. 76 people have been baptized and 113 people have made decisions for Christ. But I wanna let you know something. We don't believe we're done there. We believe God wants to do so much more with our church in this community. Did you know that 71,000 people live in the Camarillo area? Many of those don't go to church. Challenge before us is how do we take our legacy of 60 years of successful gospel ministry, teaching of the word as our history, and how do we pull that forward to the next generation? You may not know this, but most churches have about a 50 to 60 year window and then the church closes. We call that a life cycle of a church. How do we go from one life cycle to another life cycle? How do we bridge the gap from what was so successful here and make it successful again? One of the ways that you can build momentum is to refresh, rebuild, kind of refresh vision on the campus. You may have done this in your own home life as well. You take the kitchen and you redo it. It just refreshes the whole kitchen and makes it feel new. And then you bring new people in and they all enjoy it. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where they have reestablished themselves or a new grand opening and people come just because they want to see the new ownership or what's done inside. Those are the kind of things that we're talking about that we believe we can provide ourselves momentum with as we refresh our campus. That's why we've embarked on what we're calling the Welcome Project. And we're so excited uh, for all of us to consider how God might be calling us, challenging us to stretch a little bit more for His kingdom, for His glory. And we believe in doing so, we might get a new influx of people, people who are new to our community, buying these homes, people who are here looking for a fresh start, people who are looking for a place to raise their children in a church home. Church is not a building, it's about building people. And our facilities are just a tool for that greater vision. As our area continues to grow and increasing with people in Camarillo and really the Ventura County area, we would love to see more of those folks come to know Jesus Christ and that's why we're doing this. I'm so excited how God will stretch my family and how what we can give and sacrifice for so that new people, new family, new children can come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping that all of us together, that you'll join us in this process, that as you deliberate and say, God, I'm gonna put you in my finances, I'm gonna put you in my budget so that we can do something together that we could never do apart and that we can make a dent in the kingdom of God right here in Camarillo. I hope that you'll take this time and join us in excitement and prayerful expectation as to what God and how God might use you to this endeavor. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado, the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad you are with us this morning as we talk about the journey, the pivotal journey that our church is on. I gotta tell you, one of the things that came up this morning is I just found out there's a new restaurant in town called Asafran. Have you, have you seen it on the, on the drag there yet? Uh, it used to be like Dorothy's Check Wagon, uh, that place went out during COVID or whatever. Well, I just found out that place is a Colombian restaurant, which I know you guys are as excited as I am because I'm Colombian, and so we need to support our people. And so go to Asafran, get some arepas, get some uh, platanos, do it, it's legit. 
Actually, I haven't been there yet. I can't say it's good, but they're Colombian, and so they're beautiful people. Anyway, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. We are highlighting the Welcome Project last, last week and this week just to kind of remind, do a little refresher for our church. I met so many people last week who were like, I don't even know what the Welcome Project is. I've only been coming for eight to 10 months, and I, I didn't even know you guys were doing this. And we thought because we left beautiful renderings in the lobby, people would look at them and go, oh, that's where we're going. And uh, it turns out that... Uh, some folks didn't even know what it was. So what we want to do is just kind of do a little refresher on these images of, of the preferred tomorrow. This is what we're going to start seeing. I would say within the next six months for sure, we're going to start seeing some movement in this direction. And so uh, that's the curve appeal that we have that we're looking for, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> anyway, there you go. And so, uh, you know, we, we've learned that I think like 15 to 20% of people that come to our church for the first time come because of what they see on Sunday. And so when we increase the curve of heel, more people hanging out, people go, oh, there's people hanging out there. I should go to the church there, you know. Uh, we wanted to add more seating areas to our patio because we have a lot of standing around, not a lot of sitting around, which doesn't say family. It says like, you know, lines, DNB lines. We want to say family, come hang out. And so you see we have a fire pit there. We got a closer up shot on that. You can see some nice seating areas around that fire fire place area. And then on the other side of the uh, of the patio, there's actually going to be a fire pit as well. Again, more seating areas that we're looking to provide so people can hang around rather than jet out of town type of thing. That's a front look of it. We wanted to have some ministry areas under some covering, uh, some shade so we can promote women's ministries, men's ministries, whether it's uh, growth groups or children's or whatever it might be. And as you can see, those doors will slide right into those pillars because we're hoping to expand the lobby and, uh, and, and get a, a kind of a nicer feature of the lobby as well. I'll get to that in a second. Outside, on this, in between the two buildings, we saw a lot of young families hanging out. And this is because their kids wouldn't be able to run it's kind of a natural barrier for the kids to run away so we thought let's just let's just uh, dive into that so we've got like a little uh slide for two or three year olds type of thing let all the young families hang out there and have some shade for them and then on the other side the opposite of that will be uh what do you call that a pergola is that what it's called shade structure of sorts where you're going to have some more seating area and you can actually take in our gatherings outside. What we learned during COVID is that uh, people enjoyed uh, taking in the gatherings outside. And so uh, we'll just have that there with a the television there so people can hang out there as well. But more coffee bistro areas there. Now, as for the inside of the building, this is what it'll look like when you walk in the building. That screen there in the center, that's an actual LED wall that we can promote whatever we're doing. Like uh, at the time we were doing the first Corinthian series. And so that's the image that we put on the renderings, but whatever uh, series we're doing, we can put on that. You can run video on that, whatever you want, but it also stops the light from coming into our auditorium. So because it's kind of a natural light barrier, as you can see there, you can see that the, uh, the stairs will become like a now a prominent feature in our lobby because we expand the lobby out uh, about 10 feet and you can see how beautiful the wrought iron is going to look there. Kind of like a winery-esque kind of a look and feel that we're going for. And again, all this to provide even more seating because we'll take out some walls and boom, bistro tables and some more seating so we can have some more people, more places to say, come and hang out rather than come and leave, you know, type of thing. And so that's where we're headed. And we asked you last week, if you were here, maybe if you're new to our church, would you consider jumping on board with us? The Welcome Project is our effort to say, we believe God's gonna be drawing people here whether they know it or not, that, 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 that God is important to them in their lives. Like they may not know it right now, but we believe that God's gonna be in, 
an impactful figure in their lives and they may join our church. And so whether you know it or not, we are planning for you is the idea for new people to come and come to know Jesus. And so we asked you, if you're new to our church, would you, would you consider jumping on? Uh, the Welcome Project was an above and beyond giving initiative that you would say above and beyond what I already normally give because we need to keep the lights on. Uh, could we give some more so we could do these activities that would be, um, keep in mind people who aren't in our building yet, people who may not know Christ yet. And so we asked you, if you're new to our church, would you jump on for 24 months? We, we did this last year. Several of our church uh, jumped on with us. We raised in commitments somewhere around eight to $900,000. And um, now we have two years left of this. And if you would like to join us, uh, you prayed about it. Kenny's going to give you an idea how you can join, jump on. Also, if you were here and you thought you were in a place financially last year, and now you're like, you know, God's blessing a little more than I thought. I can do some more. We would love for you to jump on as well and continue to help us as we consider continue to see the rising costs of construction and labor and um, obviously all the equipment that we're going to need to buy. So uh, with that being the case, I just want to let you know that you're in an exciting place. It's an exciting time to be a part of our church as we look at CAMCC and, uh, and we see where God's going to take us in the future. With that being said, I want to start us off with a story. And it's kind of a self-deprecating story. That is a story about myself where I don't become the hero. I don't like calling myself a villain, but, uh, you know, I'm the dog in the story rather than the hero in the story. Uh, and, and that is to say that years ago, I remember working at a church, Valley Bible Church in Hercules, California, Northern California, just 30 miles east of San Francisco. And, uh, and uh, I was there, and we had this Chinese missionary organization come to our church. And we devoted a whole Sunday night to this. Uh, and and, and the, the person who was representing this missionary organization had videos and pictures, but every time they'd show any kind of person that was a Christian in China, they'd blur out the faces. And the reason was obviously for their own uh, security. All this, although this person was not on boots on the ground in China, he was, and his organization was facilitating all kinds of ministry in China. Interestingly enough, the gospel is ripe in China. People, when they hear that you're not supposed to believe in this, it's the first thing they want to hear about is the gospel. And so they had missionaries and they had people on bikes and they're giving out Bibles and we need more Bibles and we need more bikes and we need more uh, um, uh, resources to be able to fund the growth of what's happening in China. They actually had a situation where they had these bikes stolen or taken away, these motorcycles they were using to get into these tribal areas, these village areas and, and, and sharing the love of Christ. I remember sitting there going, God, you gotta help these people. Like, this is just makes sense. Uh, why wouldn't you want the gospel to flourish in China? Why wouldn't you want more people to know Jesus Christ? You, know, you got to get them the resources they need. They need Bibles. You got to give them bikes and motorbikes and all of it. And that's about the time where I started feeling like the nudging in my heart. Almost like God was talking to me, even though it's not an audible voice. Like, almost like he's speaking to, to me through my conscience. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Yeah, it's the worst thing ever. Um, and it's like whisper came over my heart. You know, David, you could be a part of this too. You know, you could give to this too. I'm like, no, 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 I can't. I'm a pastor. I don't got no money. I just pray and other people give. And, and that's how it happens, right? And in our church, we had this tradition. The pastor would put out his Bible. He put it on the stage. And you could afterwards come and, and throw money on the Bible and whatever the, you know, at that point it was the Chinese mission group in China. And, and you could say, I'm giving to the cause of the gospel, the cause of this word of God. I'm investing in the kingdom of God to that entity. So we knew he was going to put the Bible out at the end. 
people would come forward. I'd always pray for people as they come forward. And they, they give sacrificially and whatnot. And, and right about this time, my wife is like nudging me. You know, I got that like bruise in my ribs. And, and, and she's looking at me like, did you bring the checkbook? I'm like, no, I'd never bring the checkbook to church. That's crazy. I might have to use it if I did that. And, you know, and, 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 you know, do you have any money on it? I'm like, and I'm like, and she's saying, I want to be a part of this. We should be a part of this. I'm like, no, pipe down. We give by how we serve. We give by how we live our lives. By the way, we give on a regular already anyway. This would be above and beyond. We don't have, I'm a pastor and I have money. Can't be doing that. Well, I'm having this conversation with God in my heart. And he's uh, saying, you know, David, you're not at the same place that you were several years ago. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> no, you have this little side business that I gave you, and you're doing quite well with it. At the time, I had built a website, and I have, uh, um, about, at the time, I had like 25 tickets in the old stadium in San Francisco for the 49ers. I built a website and sell tickets. I also had like another uh, set of seats for the Giants. And I'm thinking about these things, and you know, the Giants went to the World Series in 2010, 2012, and 2014. Won the World Series all three of those times. And you had World Series tickets for all three of those years. And you sold those World Series tickets. And the 49ers had an NFC Championship game, which is like the Super Bowl for, because uh, they don't give tickets to fans during the Super Bowl. And you sold those tickets to the NFC Championship game for three to four times face. By the way, that's not illegal. People think, oh my gosh, my pastor's doing something illegal. It's not illegal. As long as you're not selling the tickets within 500 feet of the stadium, you can build a website. Stuff up's not illegal. Vivid Seats is not illegal. And that's something actually that I still do to this day. That's why you should pray that the 49ers host the NFC Championship game so I can give more to Jesus and the Welcome Project. Uh, and the last part of this whole thing was like, you don't have any money. You have $500 in your wallet right now in your pocket. You know what's interesting about that? I don't think there was a day in my life where I ever had $500 in my wallet, in my pocket before then, and there hasn't been a day after that I've had $500 in my wallet since then. I just don't ride with money. I don't ride with cash in my pocket. But God had worked it out to where it just happened to be in my pocket. I don't know if I cast a check or whatever. It's, and, and this missionary, and the Bible's out, and you're praying for everybody, and God, you gotta help them. And he goes, what if I wanna help them through you? And I'm thinking, no, I'm a pastor. We give with our lives. You see, left to my own internal seesaw of greed, I can convince myself that I'm not in a place to be generous. And I wonder if you can relate. Today, I want to talk to you about how God may want to shock you, surprise you on how capable you are in being generous. And the caveat is, of course, is if you allow him. What propels a Christian, a Christ follower to be generous even when they find themselves in difficult times? And where do they find their confidence that they'll be able to persevere? Why would you give when you're struggling to survive and, and how do you know you'll make it through? Why is it that generous people have all the stories of miraculous blessing on their lives? And where are they placing their faith in the midst of practicing such generosity? Uh, if you have your Bible with us today, we're going to be at two passages today. One's going to be in 1 Kings, and the second one's going to be in 2 Kings. So if you want to put your thumbnails there, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 2 Kings chapter 4. So uh, if you'll turn there now, 1 Kings chapter 17 for the first 
kind of narrative we'll look at. And then 2 Kings chapter 4 is the second narrative we'll look, like, look at together. Uh, the overarching question is, why should I practice generosity even when I don't feel I have the excess? Why should I practice generosity when I don't feel I have excess? Well, the answer is because you want to see a miracle. You give to God when you don't have an excess because you want God to replenish what you don't have. You want to see him do that. Which, by the way, if you can get excited about that, that's a fun journey to be on. Here, I'm going to, going to double down on you, God. I'm going to watch you come through. And those of us who've tried that actually have the stories behind it, and it is a wonderful journey along the way. Why should I practice generosity even when I don't feel like I have the excess? Well, because you want to see a miracle. Another way to say this is you don't want to miss out on a miracle. You're going to miss out if you don't do it. I want you to see this coming out of 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll look at verses 8 through 16 together. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is speaking of Elijah, the prophet. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow. You can circle that, highlight that, underline that. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And so they rose and they went to Zarephath. Or so he rose and went to Zarephath. And, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called out to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she did so, and going to bring it back, he called out to her again. And he said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and what? Die. See, famine had come in over the land and basically she's down to her last little bit of flour and her last little bit of oil. We got one more meal to prepare. I can't give it to you, Elijah, because that's our last meal before we starve. And Elijah said to her, don't fear, go and do as you've said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. Afterward, make something for yourself and your son. And for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. I'd love for you to highlight that, underline that, circle that, star it, memorize it. The jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord when he sends down rain upon the earth, and she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her and he and her household ate for many days. For the jar of flour was not spent, neither was the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to by Elijah. Why should I practice generosity even when I don't have it in excess? Because you don't want to miss out on a miracle, because you want to see a miracle. That's why. Here's an interesting little story about the prophet Elijah coming on the scene. He's in a certain place. God says, you got no more food. I want you to go into this town. There's going to be somebody there to meet you there. When they meet you, they'll give you food and drink. The interesting part of the story is the person who's going to meet him, though, is a widow. That's where the story gets kind of interesting. Why, of all the people in the world, would you send me to a widow to feed me and give me something to drink in the midst of a famine? There are three principles to good Bible study that I would love for you to write down. Uh, and it's going to come into effect in this passage. The three principles are uh, observation, interpretation, and application. Those are the three 
uh, solid foundational principles of any good Bible study. It starts off by observing the text. It goes into interpreting the text. And the last thing you should do is apply the text. Never go into study your, your Bible unless you observed, interpreted, and applied. If you don't apply, you've done nothing. Observe, interpret, and apply. Observation, interpretation, application. For years, I used to teach kids this as a youth pastor. Uh, it'd be like asking these questions. What does it say? Observation. What does it mean? Interpretation. And what does it mean for me? Application. In fact, when you go to your Bible study in the next, next week or so and you're reading your Bible, you might ask yourself these questions. I'm reading this. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? I used to have the students recite it to me all the time. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me? And we recite it together. So I wanted to sink into their brain. Solid Bible study always involves observation, interpretation, application. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? The reason I bring that up, because this is a great place to ask some questions of our text in observation of it. We're observing this text, and here is the man of God, Elijah. He's out of food, goes into town, and there's going to be a widow there. She'll feed you. A good question to ask of the narrative is, why would God send him to a widow? Surely there's somebody else in town who's rich. Surely there's someone else in town who has who's better ability and capability of, of making it through a famine. There's got to be a man of peace who could provide and, and make it through the storm that is the famine. Why would he send him to a widow? Well, we know there's special, uh, a special place in God's heart for widows and orphans, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think of James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and adulterated religion is this, to take care of widows and orphans. We see that. And, th and the reason is because they represented the lowest end of vulnerable society. They were the poorest of the poor. In a famine, they would be the first one to run out of food. A woman without her husband in ancient times would be left to fend for herself and her children. Only men were breadwinners in that context. As a widow, she would be powerless because there are no inheritance rights for women. So her husband dies, there's no inheritance rights, there's no breadwinner. She's powerless and at the most vulnerable. If there wasn't a brother around to take responsibility over her in a Leverite marriage or Leverite responsibility for your brother, then she would be left with nothing. And by the way, the Leverite responsibilities wasn't that popular because if I took my brother's spouse as my wife and raised his children under his name and his lineage, then what's gonna happen to my name and my lineage? So even if he was around, he basically said, I don't wanna do that. So vulnerable. She'd be doomed. Finally, we know that the Old Testament law had a specific stipulation for these situations. And that is that you are not allowed as a farmer to uh, harvest the corners of your field, harvest the corner of your farm. Secondly, you are neither to stop widows and orphans from gleaning the corners of your farm or your, the edges of your land. You were to leave that there for the vulnerable. And they were allowed to come and harvest it so they could live. That was God's way of taking care of the widows and the orphans. So now I'm back to the observation. It's a great famine. 
And God sends his prophet to a widow to feed him. Does anybody see any problem with the storyline? Any issues with this narrative? Does it seem a little obtuse to you? A little tone deaf? Maybe even morbid? I understand your concern, widow. You're about to eat your last meal and then you're going to die of starvation. I get that. But before you go and do that, why don't you bring me a little cake first? See, here's what happens if we just dive in straight to interpretation and application and we don't sit there and observe the text. We just go, oh, he's going to provide her. He's going to take care of her. Think about the craziness of the storyline. Why is it that he's asking a widow who already has nothing to feed his prophet when he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Could it be that there's a lesson in this for us? Well, it's only after she trusts the word of the prophet of God that she receives the promise that the flour would not be spent, the old jug would not run out. Here we see, contextually, Israel is in exile. The presiding God over this area, Zarephath, was Baal. Uh, I've talked about the ancient warrior motif many times in the past. If you were being presided over by another people group, that would mean that their God is bigger than your God. Their God beat you in battle, and that's why you're in subjection to them. And so their God's real and your God's not. You're in exile. The presiding God is Baal. The irony of this is the God of Baal is the God of fertility. Fertility in two ways. One would be uh, give fertility to the ground so you would have crops. And another would be give you fertility so you have a lineage. So if you wanted to have crops this year and you wanted to have children, so you have a lineage to, and a legacy, then you would worship the God of Baal. Ironically enough, there's a great famine. So the God of Baal is under indictment right now by the circumstances. Israel's in exile. There's a great famine in the land. And yet it's Yahweh that provides in the midst of the famine and not Baal. God provides even in famine and in exile. Famine can come and God can still provide. You could have only a little bit left, give it to God, he could still provide. You don't have to be in your home territory, the promised land for God to provide, he can provide even in exile. All that is true. And how does he do it? Through a widow with a dab of oil, a bit of flour, and a few sticks. What is the timeless principle, if you want to write this down, when you prioritize the mission of God, he takes care of you. When you prioritize the mission of God, he takes care of you. He prioritizes the mission of God because of the word of God coming through the man of God. He takes care of you. Interestingly enough, the obvious connection is all of our words and scriptures all come from men of God who are prophets. And as we use this as our guiding light to guide us in life, when we respond to his word, we're basically responding to the words of the prophet, the messenger of God. Had the widow not shown up and trusted in God with the little bit that she had, she would have missed out on a miracle. Thank you, Elijah. Appreciate that. We're in exile, famine. I think I'll just take my last meal and eat it with my son and die. She would have missed out on a miracle. Why should we practice generosity even when we don't feel like we have excess? Well, because you don't want to miss out on a miracle or because you want to see a miracle. And secondly, because you trust God's word. Like you really believe this thing. 
I know I'm crazy. I'm one of the like people who are like, I actually believe this stuff. I actually believe it's, and I live my life according to it. Even in the area of finances, like I really do. You really believe this thing. That's why you would practice generosity. I want you to flip over to 2 Kings chapter four. I want you to see another story. We're gonna look at verses one through seven today. Why should I practice generosity when I don't feel like I have an excess? Because you trust God's word. Let's look at this uh, verse one. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know your servant feared the Lord, but the creditors have come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of what? Have you seen this storyline before? And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not just a few, by the way, get a whole bunch of them. And then go and shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and pour all pour into all the vessels. And one is full, set it aside. And so she sent, uh, she went from him, so he was not there. She trusted his word, shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured what she had and brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she, set one of, uh, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And the son said to her, there's no more, we've got all of them. And then the oil stopped flowing at that point. And she came and told the man of God and said, go and, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. Why would I practice generosity when I feel like I don't have access? Because you trust the word of God. You trust God's word. Another widow, uh, this time a different prophet. We have Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. And no doubt that behind the text is, hey, we know God was working through Elijah. Will he work through Elisha? And so this is why you get the similar storyline. Widow, widow, oil, oil. God worked through Elijah. God will work through Elisha. No doubt that's what's going on here. This time she goes to him though and says, hey, you know my husband. He was a man of God. He's dead now. I'm now in the ancient plight of a widow and the creditors are coming to take my children as slaves to pay back the debt. Uh, one thing that I would love for you to notate in your mind is that New Testament and Old Testament slavery is more about debt repayment than it ever was about racism or prejudice. If you're ever gonna take scriptures that talk about slavery and try to apply it to uh, American history, just understand there's a bit different. This is all about debt repayment, not about one race thinking they're higher or above another. It wasn't uncommon, therefore, for a business person to get in a business relationship or covenant or contractual obligation with another person. I will lend you this money, and your collateral is you, your life. If you can't pay back what I've lent you, then I will have access to you yourself as my slave. Now, the Old Testament had stipulations on this. It could only be six years of slavery. So whatever the businessman said, hey, I'm willing to lend this to you, he'd have to be willing to give that up on the seventh year. It was a year of Jubilee and all obligations were cut off. So whatever I lent you has to be worthy of six years of your labor because on the seventh year, I have to free you. Slavery wasn't permanent. It was 
temporary in that sense. And so what's happening here is actually very customary. My husband died. We thought we'd be able to repay whatever our debt was, whether it was we took on some debt so we can put seed in the ground so that we can, so that we can you know, uh, harvest the land and then repay back the debt. He's dead now. He's not available to help me. And so now I have this debt and the debtors are coming for my children as slaves, which would be customary. But you got to pay back the debt. Your husband's not here. Then your kids got to pay for it with their lives for the next six years. And on the seventh year, they can be freed. She goes to Elisha and says, hey, can you help me? He goes, what do you have? She says, all I got is like this one little flask of oil. He goes, how about you do this? Take that flask of oil. Go to all your neighbors and friends. Get as many containers as possible. Don't just get a few. Get a ton of them. And keep on pouring the oil out of that flask until you filled up every one of those containers, every one of those jars full of oil. She leaves, does exactly as he says, without him being there, trusting that his words are coming from the God himself, that this will happen. And sure enough, she has this one little flask that keeps on pouring oil until she has all these containers full of oil. Goes back to the prophet and says, let me tell you what happened. And he said, that's great. Sell the oil, pay off the debt, and then live off the rest. Timeless principle, God miraculously cares for his faithful, dependent servants. God miraculously cares for his faithful and dependent servants, children who trust in him. Matthew chapter six says, God cares for the birds of the air. They don't worry about where they're gonna sleep. They don't worry about where their food's coming from. How much more will he care for you? It also says, God clothes the lilies of the field. So they're gorgeous. They don't have to worry about whether they get their clothes. How much more will he clothe you? This is an issue of trust in our hearts to God. Do we trust him with our lives? Do we trust him with our provision? Which brings me to the big idea. If you never give towards a miracle, you'll never see a miracle. If you never give towards miracles, you'll never see a miracle. This is pretty simple. Elijah came to a woman, you, you got a little bit left, you're about to starve to death. Well, I'm gonna have to give towards this miracle. And then if I do, and I trust God and believe, I might actually see a miracle. If you never give towards miracles, you'll never see a miracle. First lady was rewarded after giving the last of her resources towards God's purpose. Second widow wasn't rewarded until she trusted the word of God and his messenger. Not unlike we trust the word of God today. One was invested, one trusted. And it might be the very goals that we should have to both invest in the kingdom of God and to trust God for our resources. Invest and trust. One of my favorite coaches in the NFL is Bruce Arians. We don't like using sports illustrations at our churches, you know. Um, Bruce Arians, the coach uh, for many years, the Arizona Cardinals, I think he was the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then lastly, um, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers before he finally retired. And uh, he had this phrase he would use all the time. The king actually came, had a famous following. In fact, there's shirts. I looked it up this week. There's shirts of it now. And his phrase was, no risk it, no biscuit. No risk it, no biscuit. And the idea was, if you don't risk the, the, the throw down the field, you'll never get the biscuit of a touchdown. Like you got to risk sometimes to see the works of that risk. Yes, it's, it maybe pushes you on edge a little bit and it's a little scary, but no risk it, no biscuit. And some of us have been leaving a lot of miraculous opportunities on the table or the field 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because don't risk. If you never give towards miracles, you'll never see a miracle. Imagine with me for just a second if the little boy with the two fish and the five loaves refused to give Jesus access to his lunch. We wouldn't have the miracle of the 5,000, which probably could be stated the miracle of the 15 to 20,000 because that was 5,000 men. And assuming that he, they all brought their families, it might be upwards of 15 to 20,000. He would have missed out on the miracle of the feeding of thousands. If you never give towards miracles, you'll never see a miracle. If you don't stretch yourself in generosity, then you could be missing out on how God wants to allow the oil to flow for you. Why is it that all the stories of God's provision are always connected with people who are generous? But by the way, I'm not a health and wealth gospel preacher. I'm not saying that if you come to Christ, he'll make you rich and you'll never get sick. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I do believe what's biblical, though, that if you, if you prioritize God in your life with your finances, he'll take care of you. Maybe not your greeds, but your needs will certainly be taken care of. I've lived that in my own life. God's always provided what we need. I mean, we're not in the fanciest house in town. I don't need the fanciest house in town. I love my house. It's got air conditioning. There's a room for every one of my kids and a small living room and a kitchen. That's everything. We got a bathroom. You can take a shower. It's wonderful, right? Hey, take care of your needs, not your greeds. I've told the church last week, we've been to Disneyland once. We don't go every year. We've been once. He's giving, we, we, man, God's taking care of us even after we prioritized him, you know? We, I went to Columbia, South America last year with my wife and my daughter. God, we've even been international traveling. God's taking care of us. Why is it the stories of miraculous blessing are always attached to people who are generous? Maybe it's because they've understood. If you don't give towards miracles, you're not gonna see a miracle. I had a professor at the Masters University. He was my uh, economics professor in my freshman year of college. I was a new believer. I was only saved when I was 15, 16 years old. And so I'm in college now, 18, 19 years old, my freshman year of economics, not even like a Bible class, but he's a Christian. And he's talking about this idea of stewardship and giving back to the Lord. And, and, I, and I'm like, yeah, right, dude. There's not actually people out in the world who give 10% of their income to the Lord. This doesn't happen, right? He's like, no, I do, I, I do, and I'll tell you why I do, because when I was young, and I think it was even before he was married, he was a professor, he was young uh, and unmarried, he said, you know, I wanna put God to the test on this one. And he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my check and I'm gonna sign it over to the Lord. And I'm gonna have no means of provision for two weeks. I wanna see what happens. And, and not only that, I'm not gonna tell anybody that I did that. I don't wanna go, oh my gosh, I'm starving because I gave to Jesus. I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna be quiet about it and see what happens. See if God really will. He takes care of the birds of the air. So he's supposed to take care of me. So he signs it over, gives it to the Lord, doesn't say a word, just sees what happens for the next two weeks. He goes, do you know that I've been, those two weeks I was invited to go eat out more than I've ever been invited to eat out in 20 years since. He goes, I'll never forget the day I was doorbell ditched on. Doorbell, I come to the door, there's nobody there, but there's two bags of groceries at my front door the very week that I decided to test God on this. He said, after that, I'm done. You got me. You, you do what you say you'll do. And I'll never argue with you again. Well, I thought I'd conclude this message with a story from 
Uh, originally from my pastor and mentor, Dr. Philip Howard, uh, a man that I would credit with my own personal discipleship, the, in, the, 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 the building of the inner man, so to speak, uh, led the church, Valley Bible Church in Hercules, California, where I came to faith in Jesus Christ and served for 10 years as a pastor, associate pastor on different levels there. And he would tell this story that I would never forget. And uh, it had to do with his family moving from Oklahoma to California. You see, it goes all the way back to the 1940s. You might remember the late 1941 is the attack on Pearl Harbor. It was the Japanese saying, you know what? The sleeping giant that is America could wake up one day and enter into World War II. And if they do, they'll slaughter us. So let's do this. Let's take our planes and, and try to take out the entire U.S. Navy that was all congregated on one bay in Hawaii, which was foolish. We've never, we don't do that anymore. And if we can take that, their Navy, when that sleeping giant wakes up, there'll be nothing for them to go to war with. So we have Pearl Harbor, 1941. But when that happens, there's a huge population influx into the San Francisco Bay Area because there were shipyards in the Bay Area and they're building ships for the war. If you remember in your history, we're pumping out ships like candy. Every week we're pumping these things out. And while there was a lot of young people, young men and women who are defending our freedoms in World War II, there was a lot of older men who were building the equipment that sent those young men out. Dr. Philip Howard was just a young boy when his daddy said, we're gonna move from Oklahoma to California. I'm an iron worker. I'm gonna go work in the shipyards. And I'll never forget Pastor Phil talking about how he and his family lived in a two-bedroom apartment. I believe it was government housing not far from the shipyards. All of them proud of dad being a part of this effort to stop Hitler in this war. And there'd be days where he would go and he would walk to the train tracks to meet his daddy after work. And uh, what I failed to mention is that Pastor Phil had an ailment as a younger child, as a boy. He had braces on each leg. And uh, the kind of thing that was popularized by uh, Forrest Gump. You remember the movie? Pastor Phil had that either because he had to wear the braces or because he was his youngest son. One of those reasons, his father loved him the most, he felt. And as he would walk to the train tracks, and, and, and as often he was, he'd walk to the train track, his dad all sweaty and smoky and after being in musty situations and welding steel and iron workers. This is not, this is not child's play kind of work. It's heavy-duty lifting, not, not like office life. He'd see his boy and he would get on his knee put his arm around him. No matter how tired he was, he'd give him a hug. And then he'd take his lunch pail and pull out of his lunch pail whatever it is that he had for dessert for lunch. Pastor Phil said sometimes it was apple pie, sometimes it was peach pie, cherry pie, pumpkin pie. Whatever it is daddy had for dessert for lunch, I got to have some. Pastor will talk about how he didn't realize what his dad was doing until his young adult years. That means dad had to not eat dessert. Working under the heaviest of conditions, you can use the extra calories in that kind of work environment. But just in case my boy meets me at the train tracks, I'm gonna make sure I have a piece of pie left for him. He said, every time I came, there was some kind of reward for showing up. 
And Pastor Phil would bring the illustration home like only Pastor Phil could. In Pastor Phil fashion. Because I realize now in my old age when he was teaching me, no child of mine if he waits on me, no child of mine if he prioritizes me, and no child of mine if he places me on the daily schedule of his life and his heart and his life will ever leave unrewarded. No child of mine waits on me, prioritizes me, places me on the schedule of his life will ever leave unrewarded. And so it is with our God. I dare you to test him on this. I really do. It's the one area of scripture where we are encouraged to test him. Start prioritizing him in your finances and see if he doesn't show up for you at those train tracks and bless you with the reward. I'm just telling you, Malachi chapter three, verses 10 through 12, bring in the full tithe to the house of God, to the storehouse, and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and water the crops. You gotta understand, these are ancient people. They didn't know what, a, what an irrigation system was. You can't just program it for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They needed God to show up with rain if they were gonna have a crop. And he says, you bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring your seed, don't store it for yourself. Bring it into God's house. Let us store the seed there. And trust me that I'll open up the heavens and the rains will come down. That's what it says in Malachi chapter three, verses 10 through 12. We don't have floodgate stories because we haven't brought the full tithe in, in our lives. I dare you, see if the oil runs out on you. You never give towards miracles, you'll never get to see a miracle. And by the way, if, you, if you're bold enough to take this and run with it, it was that Pastor Bill story that sold me. All right, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Write down the stories of how he replenishes the oil. Do yourself a favor, write them down. I just had somebody come up to me in between gathering times and tell me an unbelievable story, how God replenished the oil. And that way, when the internal seesaw of greed rears its ugly head again, you can go back to these stories as proof. No, I'm gonna give this Chinese missionary. I'm gonna take that cash out of my wallet and give it. Because my God has proven faithful. He does what he says he will do. Now, for young people, young in the room, pay attention right now. You think to yourself, if I were to give based on what I make right now, I wouldn't even pay for soap in the dispensers of the restroom of this church. Listen, I, I know you're thinking that way because I used to think that way when I was 20 years old. It's not the soap that matters. It's the heart that's gold. It's the heart that's gold. Don't let the enemy convince you that it's not significant. Every little bit counts when you're counting it for Jesus. Keep that heart. So if you wait to 20 years from now, it gets a lot harder when you're looking at the amounts it would measure up to a tithe. Bow your head, close your eyes with me. I hope you hear from me in my heart in the last two weeks. As a pastor, I just want to bring to light the small idols and the small gods in our lives that are competing with God. I could care less about the money. I care about your allegiance and your leanings in your heart. You invest in what you love. 
and you love what you're invested in. And we say we love the Lord. Now it's just a mathematical proposition. Father, I love you. I love you my whole heart. I got stories for 20 years now of how you come through over and over and over again. We prioritize you, you come through. We prioritize you, come. I don't even know sometimes how, how you come through. And I just got stories filled my mind of how you come through. I don't feel like I'm in want. I don't feel like I'm in need. I don't feel like I'm living in the lap of luxury, but I feel like you've taken care of me and it's true. And I want to say it's true. And I want to say it's true. I don't regret one, one resource that I've given you for your glory. Would you take the resources that these wonderful people give to you and turn it into salvations, turn it into new people who need to know Christ in our church. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, amen. The, um, thank you for that message. If you, you know, many of you were here a year ago. We did a whole month. We, you know, we, we brought up this idea of the Welcome Project. You know, but there's many new people who have joined the church for us. We did that, so we decided we'd do this two-week kind of update. And last week we had people talking to David and I both saying, I didn't know you guys were doing this. I've seen the pictures on the wall. I didn't really know what it was about. Um, so that's the reason why we're doing this. And if you're newer to the church and you want to jump on board with us in sacrificially giving to make this um, revamp of our church happen, there's an envelope somewhere on the seat near you, um, probably. If not, there's some more on the counter uh, in the lobby. And you can fill this out, and there's just a spot where you put, if you want to give a one-time gift, you put it there. If you want to make a pledge for the next 24 months, the envelope says 36, but we're already a year into this. So if you want to make a pledge for that, then you total it up, and you can put that in the um, box in the lobby when you're done with it. If you need to go home and pray about it or talk with your spouse about it, I encourage you to do that. Just whenever you're ready, you can bring this back. Um, or if you were here a year ago and you didn't jump in and you're ready to, um, you can utilize this as well. If you have questions or need help with this, let me know. Um, we're also going to receive our regular offering now. There's three ways to do that. You go to campcc.net, click give at the top of the page, um, or uh, there's an offering box in the lobby. Uh, one more thing I want to say about the Welcome Project is that uh, if you go to our, our website on the homepage, you scroll down, you'll see a little picture that looks like the same thing on the envelope. You can click on that. You can read more about it, and there's a way to um, do your um, giving automatically through online on there as well, so if that interests you. Okay, before you leave today, we're packing bags in the lobby. If you'd help us with that for the kindness kit initiative that we're doing. Um, and other than that, let's check out this video for what's coming up next. Hi, Kim CC. I'm Marianne DePuma, and I help serve in our high school ministry that meets Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If today is your first time with us, we're glad you're here. If it's your second time, I'm so glad you're back. If you're a first-time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan this QR code in the phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. Include your prayer request on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the counter and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Online viewers, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. It's the Christmas season. I love Christmas. There are plenty of events for the whole family coming up. So start spreading the word, invite your friends, coworkers, and neighbors to join you. The month of December, Christmas at CamCC. Friday, December 1st, outdoor movie night. Grab your family, chairs, and some blankets and come watch two kid-friendly Christmas classics on a big screen and enjoy some food and photos. 
Saturday, December 9th, Camarillo Parade. Come watch the Christmas parade with your CamCC fam and support our Awana Club float. The Lantana Gate will be open for parking access. Grab some coffee, hot chocolate, and movie-style snacks in Fellowship Hall at 9 a.m. and then set up your chairs on Carmen. Parade starts at 10 a.m. Sunday, December 10th. We have our seven C's and Sunday school kids singing on stage and they will be making ornaments in their classes. Get here early to get a seat. Photos and videos are welcome. Sunday, December 17th, come get your picture with Santa. He will be here. Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve gatherings, 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. These will be identical gatherings. Sweet treats, candles, carols, family photos in front of the tree, and just 60 minutes. Childcare is offered for birth to pre-K, as well as our rooms for nursing mothers and toddler room that allows you to view the gathering. Remember, Christmas is a time when the people in your life are receptive to an invitation to come to church. Grab some of these invites in the lobby and see who God places in your path. January 7th, Growth Group Signups. If you are looking for a way to connect with other people at CAMCC in a smaller scale for just eight weeks, this is an amazing way to do life together. Email lisa at camcc.net for more info. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. and I'm a worship leader here at KMCC. I'm also a member of our prayer team. Um, between both services and after second service, we have a group of people who have committed to coming up and being part of our prayer team. They'll be right here in the front. They can come now if they're here. Um, and that's just a time that's available for you. If you have a small prayer request, a big prayer request, or anything in between, we are here. We're not just a family that comes to, to hang out together. Um, we come to worship, we come to be discipled, and we come to pray for each other. Um, we really are a family. Um, thank you, Pastor Dave, for that message. If it, I'm just blown away this morning. From the turkeys at the pantry, to our welcome project, to our kindness kids we're building outside. What a, what a church family we are, not just supporting each other here, but supporting our community. Um, it's such a, such a generous church. So as you leave today, don't forget, grab a bag, fill out those kindness kits. Um, we also have the movie night. We have these cards out there in the lobby if you want to bring them to a coworker, to a friend, to a neighbor. Great opportunity to bring in some young families um, or anybody who wants to come and watch the movies. Um, it's a great, easy way to get them familiar with our church and maybe lead into another invite at Christmas time. We'll have a great week. We'll see you Friday night for the movies and donuts and coffee are also in the lobby.